Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of McMinnville podcast. Founded in 2007, UUFM is a gathering place for people who embrace a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are located in the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley wine country. Please visit us on the web at macuuf.org, M-A-C-U-U-F dot org. And if you are ever in or near the McMinnville area, don't hesitate to stop by and visit us. UUFM gathers in love and service for justice and peace. So now we will have our main speaker come to the platform, Reverend Mark Gallagher. Love your neighbor as yourself. Familiar words, I'm sure. According to the Gospels, Jesus of Nazareth said that this was half of how he would summarize religious law. The other half being to love God with all your heart and all your soul, etc. Love your neighbor as yourself. Religious and spiritual traditions all over the world have variations on that theme. We're admonished to do unto others as we would have done unto ourselves and to refrain from doing to others what we don't want done to us, and so forth. There are various ways of spinning it. It's expressed with various nuances in different cultures all over the world. The underlying idea is certainly a sound one. We know our own experience directly. We feel our own pain vividly. The value of our own pleasure and happiness is obvious to us. Other people's experience is less clear. So if we're to become more empathetic, more merciful, more generous toward others, it helps to take what we know best, our own experience, and apply that to them. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. In Buddhist practice, uh, a fulsome heartfulness toward others is cultivated by calling up feelings of loving kindness, compassion, and generosity where it's easiest, and then generalizing that feeling to other situations. Accordingly, the the traditional Buddhist uh, approach in meditation is to start with one's self to get a nice, rich sense of loving kindness and compassion and generosity going. And once you've got it to where you're really actually feeling it and experiencing it, now it's not just words, then turning that toward others. First, loved ones. Once you've got it going, that's pretty easy. Loved ones. Then to neutral persons, people you just hardly know at all. And then, but this would be advanced work, not to be taken uh, lightly for be, on the beginning, would be to turn that toward antagonists, people with whom you have real friction and hard feelings. The assumption is that loving kindness towards oneself is pretty much universal, and so that's maybe the best place to start. And I think that may be true in Buddhist societies, 
But in our culture, the assumption that loving kindness toward ourselves is abundant and readily available is a little shaky. I very often hear people saying, you know, I'm hardest on myself. I have an easier time forgiving others than forgiving myself. And I'd like to share three testimonies with you about this phenomenon of which we speak. The first is from a Buddhist teacher, Tara Brock. She says, When I was in college, I went off to the mountains for a weekend of hiking with an older, wiser friend of 22. As we set up our tent, we sat by the stream, watching the water swirl around the rocks and talking about our lives. At one point, she described how she was learning to be her own best friend. And a huge wave of sadness came over me, and I broke down sobbing. I was the furthest thing from my own best friend. I was continually harassed by an inner judge who was merciless, relentless, nitpicking, often invisible, but always on the job. I knew I would never treat a friend the way I treated myself without mercy or kindness. George Valiant is a Harvard researcher who led a long-term study following hundreds of men through their entire adult lives, starting in the late 1930s. He didn't start the study, but he, he led it for a long time. They followed these men with an eye toward looking at many aspects of their lives and trying to discern over the arc of time what factors contribute to happiness in life. And out of that, he speaks of one man who was a doctor and a much-loved husband. On his 70th birthday, when he retired from the faculty of medicine, his wife got hold of his patient list and secretly wrote to many of his longest-running patients, would you write a letter of appreciation? And back came 100 desperately loving letters, often with pictures attached. And she put them in a lovely presentation box and gave it to them. Valiant interviewed that man eight years later. The retired doctor pulled down the box of letters from the shelf and said, George, I don't know what you're going to make of this. And he began to cry and continued, but I've never read it. And Valiant comments, it's very hard for most of us to tolerate being loved. Again, from Tara Brock. She says, as a friend of mine put it, feeling that something is wrong with me is the invisible and toxic gas I'm always breathing. When we experience our lives through that lens, we are imprisoned in what I call the trance of unworthiness. 
unable to perceive the truth of who we really are. A student told me about an experience, this is still Tara Breck, she'd spent many hours sitting at the bedside of her dying mother, reading to her, holding her hand, and telling her that she loved her. Most of the time her mother remained unconscious. One morning, the mother suddenly opened her eyes and looked clearly and intently at her daughter and whispered softly, You know, all my life I thought something was wrong with me. And shook her head slightly as if to say, What a waste. <laughs> then she closed her eyes again, went back into a coma and died a few hours later. A lot of times we are harsh with ourselves. More harsh than we would be with a good friend or a loved one. A lot of times we need to be more merciful toward that person who is our very own self. We need to learn to stop berating ourselves, denigrating ourselves, threatening ourselves. So let me ask you, in words that you speak or perhaps in the privacy of your own mind, do you sometimes treat yourself unkindly? Jeez, that was stupid. <laughs> what an idiot I am. When am I going to get it together? What is my problem? If a major point of spiritual life is to become more benevolent, or perhaps to realize our innate benevolence either way, then it makes sense to start where benevolence can be found and expand from there. Very often it is the case that we are more merciful, more kind, more generous towards someone else than towards ourselves. Not everyone else, mind you. Few of us are that good to others or that cruel to ourselves, but to some others. <clears throat> The Buddha famously said, just as a mother would protect her only child, even at the risk of her own life, even so, cultivate a boundless heart toward all beings. I'm really struck by this. The prime illustration that the Buddha gave for cultivating loving kindness the one he apparently thought would be most illuminating for his listeners was the love of a mother, not for herself, but for her child. He's saying, make that your example, make that your template. And if you can get, get, get uh, any kind of feeling like that, expand that into other arenas.
I think of the dying mother that Tara Brock spoke of. This dying woman comes out from deep unconsciousness at the very edge of death to say to her daughter, all my life I thought something was wrong with me. What a waste. And you know what I hear in that? I hear a mother saying, I want better for you. I want better for you than what I allowed myself. Now here's a story by Jim Heinen. I can't say whether it's a memoir or whether it's fiction, but I find it a haunting account of compassion bubbling up from wherever it is that compassion does bubble up. It's called What Happened During the Ice Storm. Our friend from Chicago will uh, <laughs> perhaps relate closer to that. <clears throat> One winter there was a freezing rain. Tree branches glistened like glass. Ice thickened on the windows until everything outside blurred. Farmers moved their livestock into the barns and most of the animals were safe but not the pheasants. Their eyes froze shut. <clears throat> Some farmers went ice skating down the, gravel <clears throat> excuse me, down the gravel roads with clubs to harvest the pheasants that sat helplessly by the roadside ditches. The boys went out into the freezing rain to find pheasants too. They saw dark spots along the fence Pheasants, all right, five or six of them. The boys slid their feet slowly, trying not to break through the ice that covered the snow. They slid up close to the pheasants. The pheasants pulled their heads down between their wings. They couldn't tell how easy it was to see them huddled there. The boys stood still in the icy rain their breath came out in slow puffs of steam. The pheasant's breath came out in quick little white puffs. Some of them lifted their heads and turned from side to side, but they were blindfolded with ice, and so they didn't flush. The boys had not brought clubs or sacks or anything but themselves. They stood over the pheasants, turning their own heads, looking at each other, each expecting the other to do something. Pounce on a pheasant or yell, bang! Things around them were shiny and dripping with icy rain. The barbed wire fence, the fence posts. Ice was hardening on the boys' caps and coats. Soon they would be covered with ice too. Then one of the boys said, Shh. He was taking off his coat, the thin layer of ice splintering in flakes as he pulled his arms from the sleeves. But the inside of the coat was warm and dry. He covered two of the crouching pheasants with his coat, rounding the back of it 
over them like a shell. And the other boys did the same. They covered all the helpless pheasants, the small gray hens and the larger brown cocks. Now the boys felt the rain soaking through their shirts and freezing, and they ran across the slippery fields, unsure of their footing, the ice clinging to their skin as they made their way toward the warm, blurry lights of the house. I find that so strangely moving. Because we are those boys. We are those boys. Poised to do the casual, callous thing, which others are doing, which seems normal. <coughs> but there is a pausing on the threshold of the moment. There's a desire to go with the flow, but also, in truth, in our hearts, a reticence a sorrow, a merciful impulse. And the question lingers as we look around at one another. Whose voice will break the impasse? What kind of episode will this be? And who will we become? And at the same time, <clears throat> We are the pheasants at the mercy of ourselves, hoping, perhaps dimly, for a little kindness. I remember when I was serving as an intern hospital chaplain as part of my ministerial training, I went to see a patient at the hospital, a middle-aged man who, the nurses said, had become despondent and deeply depressed. It seems he'd recently been told that his illness had damaged his body in such a way that he would no longer be able to function sexually. And he was taking it real hard. So when I came in to see him, oh boy, he was slumped down into the bed, the face the flesh on his face was just hanging off the bone, limp like a damp wash rag. It looked like he was trying not to exist. He was deeply dreading a visit later that morning from his son, whom he loved very much, who was himself a grown young man. Why the dread? Because... He didn't want his son to see him like this. No longer a man. <clears throat> it weighed on him like a death sentence. And after a time, I asked this man to imagine for a moment that it was his son who had the medical condition and had suffered this loss. What would he say to that young man. And there was the faintest little flicker of life in his eyes as he began to entertain that idea. You could almost see the wheels turning in his mind 
as he let the scenario play out in his imagination. And then suddenly he sat bolt upright, threw both legs over the edge of the bed, his eyes widened, and he leaned in toward me. He took my hand and said emphatically, Why, I tell him I love him, and he's no less of a man. Oh. He got it. Not by thinking of himself. He couldn't find that mercy for himself. But for someone else, he could. I could tell he made the connection. There is someone whom we have loved with their flaws and brokenness. There is someone toward whom we feel merciful, for whom we want better than what we typically allow for ourselves. And from that, it's possible to learn to accept our own worthiness of love. To grant ourselves mercy and loving kindness. In other words, love yourself as your neighbor. Love yourself as you love some of your neighbors. As Stephen Levine has said, truly we have been waiting our whole lives to hear the words, I love you, in our own voice. And last bit, I'm going to ask, have you ever sat quietly at the edge of the undulating ocean and just let yourself feel the rhythm of the ocean coming in and out, the sight and the sound of it? This poem by Elizabeth Tarbell speaks of that kind of deep remembering and return to sanity. It's called The Healing Moment. <clears throat> Each day I am newly reminded of my unworthiness, a dozen thoughts misspoken, another day when the good I do falls so far short of what I could do. But when I am here at the edge of creation, breaking with the water over the sand. The need to do good rolls away. The question of what is right diminishes to insignificance and is easily borne away by the tiny waves. Here, where no words are spoken, none are misspoken. What I don't know ceases to embarrass me because what I do know is that the water feels gentle like a lover's touch and the sand welcomes it. Now I'm here and grateful to be touched, calmed, and healed by the immense pattern of the universe. And when I die, it will be an honor for my blood to return to the sea and for my bones to become the sand 
reassured, I am called back to my life, to another day. And so I invite you, if you're so inclined, to join me in a very small practice of loving-kindness meditation. Try out what I was speaking of just a moment ago. And if you want to participate, just close your eyes and breathe with gentle awareness. In and out. And see if someone comes into your mind toward whom you just naturally feel kindness, mercy, warm feelings and generosity. Someone you, you just wish them well without a lot of complication. Doesn't have to be someone you know well or are close to personally. You just feel good toward this person. And picturing this person, holding them in your heart, I invite you to say in your mind and think and feel, May you be healthy, happy, and peaceful. Dear one, may you be healthy and see them healthy and vital. Happy. See them happy and joyful and peaceful and see them in deep peace. And let that feeling and that wish deepen until it is quite strong. My dear friend, may you be healthy, happy, and peaceful. And then turn that feeling toward yourself, toward yourself. May I be healthy, happy, and peaceful. Picture yourself healthy, full of vitality, full of life. Picture yourself happy, joyful, glad to be alive. And peaceful, at home in yourself, at home in this life. 
May I be healthy, happy, and peaceful. And when you're ready, you open your eyes. Thank you.